Yo, this is crazy. Look at you guys. On a Saturday night, really. God bless you guys. Man. Well, none of us got it right. I'll tell you that. I mean, we, we don't cast lots in the office. We make wagers, but we don't make the person pay, okay? And all of our guests were off. I can tell you that right now. I mean, welcome. And to our three overflows, uh, welcome as well. I mean, this is an awesome thing. So next week, we will be doing two services on Saturday night, a five. <laughs> Not next week, but I ain't joking. It sounds like it might be coming down the road here and Again, we'll find someone to preach it. Man, this is awesome. <laughs> so let me ask some questions, okay? I want to gauge some things here. Let me, let me ask some questions. How many of you, this is your first time here? Raise your hand. How many of you? What? God bless you guys. How awesome. Amen. Look at that. I wear a coat every time I preach, just so I don't know that. <laughs> All right, let me ask this question. How many of you are coming back tomorrow as well? Raise your hand. Stay home. I'm just kidding. 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 That's awesome, man. So this is, you know, for the most part, this is your Easter service. This is an awesome thing. And it's different, right? I mean, again, I mean, uh, all of us are kind of stepping outside of the norm and our comfort zone. And this is an amazing thing. So let me just say up front, God bless you. Thank you for being here. It's a Saturday night, Easter weekend. There's many places you could be. And to the ones in, in our overflow, again, I think about that. I mean, they're you know, in a classroom right now watching a stream, but the Lord has brought them here. And, and just as I said upstairs, I'll say again, the Holy Spirit is in this place. Amen? And, and whether, it's, you know, whether it's in a gymnasium or whether it's in a room, the Holy Spirit don't care. The Holy Spirit searches hearts and changes lives. And we pray for that. And so God bless you. Thank you for being here. Those of you, again, who it's your first time, God bless you. Uh, thank you for being here. Please come back. We want you to come back. Um, and, you know, this is an awesome thing. Take your Bibles, if you would. Come with me to the book of Matthew. We've been in Luke on Sunday mornings, and we've taken a step out uh, for Palm Sunday and for today, Resurrection Sunday. And so Saturday, wow, Resurrection Sunday, but celebrating on Saturday, right? Um, and so we're going to go to Matthew. And what I love about this is we're going to look at the account of the resurrection. We're going to look at all four of the Gospels cover the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They do. Sarah, I'm like, what in the world is somebody coming after me? Oh, you're taking a picture. Okay. All right. I've got an exit strategy. If somebody starts getting too close, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got a back door, right? And my wife's over there, and she will take care of it. So anyway, so this is... And so, you know, all four gospel writers cover the resurrection. Matthew, I love it, man. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And the focus of these 10 verses are the ladies that show up at the tomb. It's an amazing thing. Again, to a Jewish audience 2,000 years ago, you know, that's why we have the passage where Jesus says, in Christ, you're no longer slave, you're no longer slave, are free, you're Gentile, nor Jew, are male, nor female. Because again, it was looked in a way that they fell in a lower status than the men. And I think it's remarkable that the Lord used these ladies to receive the first announcement of the resurrection. Think about that for a second. It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't Peter, right? Peter just denied him three times. It wasn't, there was only one disciple at the cross that was John. And it wasn't the disciples who had walked with him for three and a half years and watched him preach and watched him teach and watched him perform all these miracles. And it wasn't the disciples that were there. It were these ladies that were there. 
And what's so interesting about this account is they didn't come even expecting a resurrection. They came to deal with the body, to apply spices and and to deal with a body that would be decomposing. That's why they came. They didn't come expecting Jesus to be risen. Then we have this remarkable account of what God does. And the first message of the resurrection is given to the ladies who are at the tomb, seeking the body of Christ. I love it. Take your Bibles, if you wouldn't stand with me. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And it's Matthew's account of the resurrection. And we know as you go a little bit further into this chapter, and as they're gathered in Galilee, Jesus gives them the Great Commission. And it's the Great Commission to them, and it's the Great Commission to us. But before that, in chapter 28, we have the resurrection account. Look what Matthew says. First 10 verses, Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, behold does not connect to the earthquake. A lot of time when we read this in the English language, we think, behold, like, you know, get your attention to the earthquake. Behold is actually attached to the angel. So look at what it says here. It says, behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel. That's where the behold is connected to. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And came and rolled back the stone from the door. And look at the next four words. I think that is so sweet. And set on it, right? He set on it. Matthew didn't have to say that, but I think that's so cool that he's just kind of sitting there chilling. All right, look at the next part. He set on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They completely passed out in shock. But the angel answered and said to the women, do you see that? To the women who were there, not the disciples, the women who were there. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And I love the next three words again. I just picture him on this stone, kind of with a little bit of sarcasm, like, as he said. I don't know if that happened right there, but that's the way I, I was sitting on the stone, like, as he said. Don't you, that's what he said. Anyway, where am I at? What verse? Six. There it is, as he said, there it is. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, now see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring the disciples his word. Let's just read 9 and 10. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Get your attention again. Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and they worshiped him. Don't miss that part. We're going to cover it. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see what? What a promise of hope. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, will we gather in this place tonight celebrating the resurrection? We gather in this place tonight because our Savior, Jesus Christ, overcame and he overcame our sins, he overcame death, and he overcame the grave, and he has risen. And Lord, without that, we'll shut the lights out and go home, because we know that everything that we believe is grounded in the resurrection of our Savior, that he was that perfect substitute as we gathered at the cross last night and reflected upon our sins, laid upon his shoulders. Our Savior is risen, and because of that, we have great hope in this place great hope. 
So, Lord, tonight I pray that the hope of Christ would penetrate hearts, change lives, as you do the work that only you can do. We ask it, we believe it, and we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so look, we ain't got no service after this. Y'all realize that? I ain't got no blinking clock back there, okay? I have a blinking clock back there every time I preach. And I disregard it, just to be honest with you, but it still gets on my nerves when I see the blinking red clock. Now, I don't change it. I need it, guys. But I'm just like, I, sometimes I'm up here preaching, I'm seeing it, and I'm like, whatever, I ain't looking at you right now. And then you wonder why the parking lot is messed up. It's my fault, okay? But there ain't no service that tonight. So y'all cool to be here for a little while? So what, what? So, yeah, the, some clap, and the rest are like, I'm out of here at 7.15, but... <laughs> We'll get you out of here at 7.15. Just the hope, man, of this, right? I mean, hope. You know, I shared this a couple weeks ago. I think one of the greatest tools of the enemy is casting doubt and casting hopelessness, right? You look at your situation. There are many of you who walked in with that. And you look at it and go, hopeless, right? My marriage, hopeless. My struggles, hopeless. This addiction, hopeless. This pain, hopeless. And as you gather around the cross, and especially as you gather at the tomb three days later, you find hope. You find hope not only in the eternal things, right? I mean, that's what we see here, but you find hope in the now. Hope in a God that fulfills his promises. Hope in a God who is faithful when we are not. There were none of the disciples were there at the cross. Again, allow this to sink in. They weren't even there at the the tomb. And yet it's to his disciples that he calls to. And and if you go and you read some of the other texts, specifically he calls to Peter. Why? What did Peter just do? Peter just denied him three times. And so what do you find? You find the heart of a savior, even in his resurrection, as he restores these men, as he forgives these men, as he empowers these men to now carry this message, the good news of hope to the rest of the world. It is safe to say that the resurrection is the single most impactful moment in the history of the world. Everything comes back to this. Because listen, if Jesus is not risen, then what was he? He was a crazy man. Let's be real. I mean, here's a guy claiming to be God. Here's a guy claiming to be the son of God. Here's a guy claiming that he was sent to the earth that he created. If he's not risen, then let's be real. He's a crazy man. But because he is risen, what do we find? That everything that he said, everything that we read is true. That's why the resurrection is so important. It proved that he was who he said he was. And if that is true, then guess what? It demands a response from all of us. What do we do with that individually? And understand that not responding is a response. And as we gather around the empty tomb, that's what this comes down to, right? I mean, it comes down to a Savior who died in our place and who satisfied the wrath and judgment of a holy God. So what do we do with Jesus? I want to read a couple of passages for you. Romans 1, 4, Paul wrote that Jesus Christ was declared, listen to this, to be the Son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. He connects the resurrection to the fact that Jesus proved he was the Son of God Power now demonstrated how in the fact that he conquered the grave. So what is the implications for us? Listen to this verse, Romans 4, 24 to 25 says this, but also for us, it shall be imputed, given to us who believe in him, 
who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered. Now, don't miss this. This is our connection to this. Don't miss this. Verse 25 of Romans 4, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So that in his resurrection, what do we find? We find the victory of our offenses. What do we find? We find justification before a holy and righteous God. Listen, I don't care. You may be here and you're like, I don't believe any of this. Well, let's just say, let's just say there is a God who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous. I don't know one person who would say that they would stand in confidence before a holy and righteous God knowing the mistakes that they've made in their life. I know I couldn't. To stand before the throne of God knowing my stuff, knowing my baggage, knowing my sins. And so it all comes down to what? It all comes down to this. It all comes down to what do we believe about this subject? What do we believe about this person? What do we do with Jesus? Resurrection is mentioned over 104 times in the New Testament. There's an entire chapter devoted to it. And I'd encourage you to go and read that. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. It's not a short chapter. There's 58 verses. You want to talk about hope, man, hope. Some of you walked into this place, and that's the thing that God is stirring in your heart. Hope. Hope that your day cannot change. Do you hear me? Hope that your day can't change. Hope that a phone call tonight can't change. Joy that comes in that hope that perseveres, that's not dependent upon how your day goes, that's not dependent upon your job or even your family or relationships. It's fixed in Jesus. And if it's fixed in Jesus, it's the same today as it was yesterday, as it will be tomorrow. Here we go, Saturday. Let me hear from you now. Eight o'clock is still my favorite. Y'all can give them a good run, okay? So talk to me now. That's all good. Talk to me. I got a coat on, all right? So what does that mean? Let's go old school with this. And if you got a hanky, you can wave that too. I'm cool with that. Wave that hanky. Tambourine, I don't care. Let's do this, all right? Because this is eternal things, man. I mean, we gather for Easter, and I get it. Like, this just, it's a big deal. Like, a lot of people come that may not come to church. But the question is this. The question is, what do you do with Christ? Because the bottom line is this. Every single one of us will one day die. Every single one of us will stand before God. It's a proven fact, by the way, that 100% of people who are born die. They've proved that, by the way. And the Bible says we're appointed a time to be born, we're appointed a time to die. That's fixed before the foundations of this earth. So if it was today, would you stand before a holy God covered in the blood and righteousness of Jesus? Like, that's what all this comes down to. In your heart, how has it affected you? Is it a story that, hey, I hear it because I come to church sometimes and on Easter? What has it done in your heart? I love Matthew's account. Let's walk through this. I, I blink and light, cut that thing off. 13 minutes? Yeah, right. Cut that thing off right now. 13 minutes. My foot. I can't believe I just said that from the pulpit. I am turning into my father, by the way. I think, I think the coat, don't clap for that. Don't you clap for that. Are you serious? I think the coat does that a little bit, right? Like you put it on and you become like an old school Southern Baptist priest. I don't know how that works. I need more product in my hair. All right, let's keep going. Here we go. Y'all are awesome, man. Let's just, let's, let's hang out every Saturday night. How about that? 
man. I'm not as tired. Like, I'm tired on Sunday mornings. I'm not tired right now. Six o'clock, man, we can go for a couple of hours. All right, here we go. Look at this, first one. Let's walk through this. I love it. Verse 1, I love Matthew's account to the ladies. It says this, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, we know the Sabbath is Saturday. And so we know that they're now gathered at the tomb on Sunday, your timetable, right? Jesus crucified on Friday, 3 o'clock Friday. He's now been in the tomb for three days. The ladies arrive at the tomb not expecting a risen Savior. Because if you go to, I think, Luke's account, uh, they talk about how are we going to get the stone rolled away? Like they're talking about how are we going to even get into the tomb? So these ladies show up, and we know that it says here in verse 1, next part, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Mark adds uh, that a woman named Salam came, the mother of James and John, right? The, 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 the wife of Zebedee. Luke adds some more. Luke adds that another woman named Joanna came, the wife of Chusa, who was a steward in Herod's court. And then you go a little bit deeper, John speaks of Mary Magdalene, but he then speaks of it uh, in, in, the, in, the, what's the, what's in the singular, not the singular, but the plural. There we go. You guys are smart. In the plural, he uses the word we. So we know that these ladies are gathered here, and you know, there's a lot of stuff back and forth about the three Marys who were there, and some think it was this and that. We know that there were ladies there, and there were no disciples. Remember, they traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem. It's about a 50-mile trek. To walk, it was about 12 hours. Again, I think about this and I go, where were the disciples? Like, not one? Like, not one? I mean, Jesus had just said, John 13 through 16, right? I mean, you see the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ because Judas had already betrayed him. Judas had already gone to the high priest and collected the 30 pieces of silver, four months' wage, by the way, by the way is what he took to, the, to betray Jesus, four months of a wage. And so he's already done that. That's set in motion. And you see the sovereignty of Christ, right? As Jesus even tells John and Peter, go find this place, this upper room for us to gather. Now, again, Judas, this would have been the perfect opportunity. It's in a private setting. The crowds are not there. These guys can come in and take Jesus. But you even see the sovereignty of Christ because those disciples didn't even know where they were going. Jesus says, find the man with the pitcher, right? And again, that's mind-boggling in that culture in that time. You usually didn't find guys carrying around pitchers of water. That was looked upon as a woman's job. So even that, find this man who's carrying a pitcher and tell him, that we are to go into this room. And so again, Judas had no opportunity to even pass that on to the authorities. He's just going along with the disciples. So even gathered in the upper room, you see the sovereignty of Jesus orchestrating every single thing because he knew he couldn't be arrested yet. There were too many things that he had to tell these disciples. And if you go to John 13, 16, it is a dump. I mean, here is Jesus just like, all right, here it is, guys. For three and a half years, I've kind of given you some things. I've showed you some things, but here it is. And go back and read John 13, 14, 16, and he talks about his resurrection. He talks about the fact that three days later, I will be risen. And yet you find the gospel accounts, not one disciple is gathered at the tomb. What a picture of us, right? The unconditional love of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're thankful, that say amen. Amen. And yet, what do you find Jesus doing? Go get those disciples. Go tell those disciples. They failed, but I'm not finished with them. I'm so thankful for them. They failed, but I'm going to still use them. They failed, but I'm going to restore them for the work that they're going to carry out. 
and carrying the good news. These ladies gather there really for sympathy. And so what I want you to see in this passage, and we're going to walk through it very quickly, I want you to see in this passage the emotions that take place in these ladies, and and Matthew speaks of it. Because it begins with sympathy. That's why they got to the tomb. They were there to take care of the body. It then moves to fear, right, when the angel appears before them. It then moves to joy as the angel says, okay, don't be fearful, but rejoice. Then don't miss the final thing, which is their worship. And it really is the story of us. Where do we find ourselves in this setting? Look at verse 2. It says this. First of all, it's the sympathy that led them there. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. Again, the word behold emphasizes the character that appears, not the earthquake. So many times when I've read that passage, I believe that, that Matthew is saying, behold, the earthquake. But when you go to the original language, it's actually connected to the angel. Behold the angel. And what causes the earthquake? Well, again, the angel has arrived. The stone is rolled away. By the way, this messes up every Easter play that I've ever been in as a kid, okay? Because in every Easter play as a kid, right, I was a Roman soldier. I don't know why they always made me a Roman soldier, but I was. Kind of fit my personality. So I'm there with the the spear, and the stone would be rolled away, and they had the little smoke machine. You know what I'm talking about? Old school drama class. They'd have the smoke machine come out, and then Jesus comes out from the tomb. That's not what you read here, right? Jesus is already gone, right? The angel has removed the stone. He didn't remove the stone for Jesus to come out. He removed the stone for these ladies to come in. Because we know that even later, about a week later, the disciples are gathered in a room. Jesus walks in, not even using the door. And so Matthew makes sure that we understand that he's not just a spirit walking around, but it is the redeemed Christ that is encountering these disciples. And we see that even in this passage where the ladies gather and grab his feet. I mean, there's a point there that Matthew is making. And so the angel arrives. He sits on the stone, verse 3. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. A heavenly countenance wearing white garments portraying what? Purity, holiness. Verse 4. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. What does this mean? I believe what you find here and in the other writings as well, it was just so frightening that their entire system instantly went into shock. And we've seen this in the Bible before, actually. You go back to the Old Testament, it happened to Ezekiel when he had a vision from God. He was, he was in such a shock that he passed out, almost comatose. We know it happened in, in the book of Revelation to John when the glorified Christ appears to John, same thing. It happened to Peter, James, and John, right? The transfiguration, same thing. And so the Bible says this angel appears, he's sitting upon the stone. And I love this, verse 5, but the angel answered and said to them, do not be afraid. Don't you find that every time an angel appears in all the accounts of Scripture, what's the first thing they say? That's probably accurate because every one of us in that moment, I'll leave it alone. Yeah. And I love this. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified love that. Like, what if an angel came back today to you personally, right? You'd lose your mind. But what if an angel appeared to you personally? First thing they would say, don't be afraid. But would they say, I know that you seek Jesus? Would they say that? 
Because I read that passage this week. I thought to myself, could that be said about me? As a pastor, right? Prone to wander and prone to seek after other things. I'm a human just like anyone else. But in this moment right here, if an angel appeared to you individually, would, could it be said, I know that you seek Christ? Number one, I know that you know Christ. I know that you have a changed heart. I know that you've turned from your sins. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're running from, not running to. I know you belong to him. I know you seek him. Could it be sad? And so I look at this passage and I think about, man, what an unbelievable thing that the greatest announcement in the history of the world, the greatest announcement in the history of the world, and it's not to the disciples, it's not to the religious leaders, it's to the ladies who were there. I don't miss this. Mark records the same message, and Mark says this. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And say he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he has said to you. So again, Peter, the leader of the disciples, has just denied him three times. These ladies are there. And the angel says, go tell Peter. Here's another question. Why did God choose to reveal this to these ladies first? You know the answer to that? There wasn't anything special about these ladies from a worldly standpoint. You know why? Because they were there. Because they were there. They were seeking Jesus. Again, they didn't know. They were seeking a dead Jesus. But they were there. And I read that so many times and I think to myself, I wonder how many times I wasn't there. You know what I'm saying? But God is doing a work in my life and I'm so consumed with whatever. Doubt, pride. And because I wasn't there, in the place where God wanted me to be. Nothing special, right? The greatest announcement in the history of the world, and God chooses to deliver it not to the disciples, but to the ladies who were seeking Jesus. Look at verse 7 again, and he quickly tells the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now again, this connects, right? You go back to the night before in Matthew 26. Jesus had already told them that, or two nights before, three nights before. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. This is him telling this to his disciples. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But look at verse 32. But after I have been raised, I will go before you where? Into Galilee. I love that. Galilee. An area that was unsophisticated, a rural area, mostly uneducated and unrefined. A place that was filled with Gentiles, by the way. Really a melting pot of a lot of different people. This would be the place that we read, Matthew 28, that he gives the Great Commission, not to the elite leadership of Jerusalem, not to the theologians who gathered around and talked about the law. Although he appeared to the 11 in Jerusalem, he gathers all of his disciples here in Galilee. Paul gives us kind of a snapshot of this. If you go to Paul, for, uh, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by how many? Over 500 brethren at once. He is speaking of this event gathering in Galilee, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have passed on. Verse 8, look at what he says. So they went out quickly from the tomb, what? With fear first and great joy. What a place to be and ran to bring his disciples' word. 
Their silence has now turned into a proclamation. Their crippling fear has now turned into great joy. And this joy is the expression of what? Their faith. Let me tell you something. Joy is unique to a relationship with Christ. Bottom line. We live in a world that seeks fulfillment and seeks to fill a void. Bottom line, if you're here, straight up, there ain't nothing in this world that can fill that void. He created us that way. But yet we run, right? We run and try to find anything we can to plug in there and plug in there and plug in there. And what happens? It fails and it fails and it fails and it leaves us in a place where the enemy is laughing, the enemy is mocking, the enemy is casting doubt. And so it's in those places that, again, the joy is unique to the one who knows Jesus. This joy is unique to the one who knows that God is sovereign over their situation. In the chaos and the storms that they are dealing with, they know that they have joy. You know why? God's not hitting the panic button. God is sitting upon his throne, and there is nothing wasted in our lives. There is nothing wasted in our lives. There is nothing random in your life. Whatever you're going through right now, guess what? God is orchestrating it, and it's all for the purpose of bringing you to a place, first of all, to know him, to confess that you're a sinner, profess that Jesus is Savior, and to live for him. That's what all this comes down to. If you don't have that, it's a merry-go-round, man. And I believe the Lord sometimes allows us to find the things that we're seeking and allows us to plug that in show to us. It's all passing away. So the resurrection is the hope that brings us back to this. Their fear is now turned into joy. And the most amazing thing happens next. Look at verse 9. We're going to close. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, what? Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and they worshiped him. So he meets them and he says, all hell are rejoice. A more accurate translation there is simply hello or high. I love that. I mean, here's the king of kings, the, the risen savior out of the grave, and he speaks to them as their friend. And then the last part of verse nine, so they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Matthew wants us to know this is not a spirit. This is not an apparition. This is not a phantom. This is not a figment of their imagination. This is the living bodily resurrected Christ. And they grasped his feet and they worshiped him. Verse 10. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there, don't miss this, they will see what? What a promise. And what a promise. Hope. I mean, you see this progression, right? I mean, they show up out of sympathy. People come to church and all that's sad that that guy died. Sad. Sympathy. Genuine. Oh, if he was innocent, that's sad that he died. Sympathy. It leads us to the next place of fear. Whoa, judgment? Eternity, heaven, hell. I know I'm a sinner. What do I do about my sins? What do I do about my guilt? What do I do about that? Listen, there's nothing you can do. And so where does it bring us? To the next phase that we see there, rejoicing joy. Joy in the fact that, hey, Christ has done this. Christ has bridged the gap. It's not about me being religious or trying to do good things. It's about me professing the one who did it for me, who lived a perfect life and died as a substitute for my sins upon the cross. Because there will come a day 
every one of us. We'll stand before a holy God. And it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives hope to those who have called upon his name. And I love what he says. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see. We're going to see Jesus one day. Can I get an amen? Amen? Listen, these disciples had failed These disciples had cursed his name. These disciples ran and scattered everywhere. Can we identify with that? Can any of us in this place identify with that? Can we identify with the fact that many of us have run? Some of you are running right now. And what do you find? You find the unconditional love of Christ. Go tell the disciples, hey, go get Peter, by the way. Go get Peter. The one who denied me three times, but the one who is the rock in which I will build my church. Go get these guys. And let them know, yes, they failed. But listen, my victory over the grave covers all of that. As far as the east is to the west, their sins are forgiven before a holy God. Even in your failures, guess what? I'm pursuing you. I'm seeking you. And I am there. And when we pass over from this life to the next, the Bible says absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord, to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. There you will see me. There will come a day. There will come a day that we will see our Savior face to face. Can I get an amen? I like want to crowd surf right now. Can I crowd surf? Like this is like, I feel like I'm going to fall off the stage. Like y'all are awesome. Like I could crowd surf. Can I do that, Mike? You ready? Look, I know it's Easter. There'll be a lot of people that walk in these doors no hope. We've had six funerals in the last 14 days. Pastor Dave Aloni preached his mom's funeral yesterday. Paul Dunham, who worked in our parking lot, we're having his funeral on Monday from a brain tumor. Yo, this life is hard. A lot of things that hurt. The Bible tells us, even in our suffering and even in our mourning, there's hope. There's hope. And I just simply ask you today, however you got here tonight, do you have that hope? Tonight was your appointed time. Can it be said you stand before the throne of God covered by the blood of Jesus? Not because of anything you've done, but you've humbled yourself, acknowledged your sins, and called upon Jesus to save you and to live with you. That's what all this is about. Life is hard said it before, I'll say it again. There's three stages, right? We're either in a storm, we're coming out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into it. Sometimes not even knowing. If you're anything like me, right, you stir. Like you, okay, wait, I go here and I go there and I go there and I think the Lord is just sitting there going, I'm here. Why don't you go here? Man, 
it's the victory of the grave. It's the victory of the resurrection. And because Christ is risen, I don't care what you're dealing with right now, there's hope. You have a sovereign God who is sitting upon your throne, and guess what? You are fixed, secured, sealed in your salvation. And when you stand before the throne, you'll stand before the throne, not covered in your gunk. We all got it. You're going to stand clean, holy, righteous because of the life that Jesus lived. I saw this quote and I shared it last night. I want to close with it. This hit me right between the eyes. I said this. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived my life. So he could treat me if I lived his. There we have doubt. God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived my life. Every sin I've ever committed upon his shoulders. So now in Christ, I stand before God as if I lived his. Life is perfection. None of us can live that. That's why it's only in Jesus. We can stand before the throne with assurance knowing that we have eternal life in heaven. I just simply ask you tonight, do you have that hope regardless of what you're going through? Do you have the hope of now and you have the hope of eternity. If you know Christ, it's there. Maybe it's time to settle your heart, quiet your life a little bit, and just seek Him in His presence. If you're here tonight, whether you're in this room or in another room or watching online, I just simply ask you, Easter weekend, I simply ask you, how has the resurrection of Jesus changed your life? Is it just something that maybe you acknowledge and celebrate with family? Has it changed your life? He proved that he was who he said he was. The Bible says he came to be a ransom for many. But the road is narrow, and the other road is wide. What road? You're traveling. And right now in the quietness of this place, maybe God is stirring your heart and you know it. It's been there. You can fight it. It's been there. Your heart's beating. and The Lord is speaking. Just give up your rights to your life. Simply say, I surrender. I've tried it my own way. I know where it's gotten me. Lord Jesus, I fall on my face before you. I acknowledge that you came and you died for me. You paid my penalty. So that I can now stand before the Father clean. 
None of this other stuff matters, guys. It's important. It's not the most important. Your eternity is. What have you done with Jesus? How has he changed your life? Has there been a change? I'm going to ask you where you are. Just stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you tonight in this place, humbled, celebrating the fact that the grave is empty, celebrating the fact that our Savior is risen, celebrating the fact that in Christ we too are raised, (laughs) raised from the deadness of our sins and brought to life. And Lord, I pray tonight, if there's anyone still in their sins, you would stir their hearts in a way that even right now they'd cry out, Lord Jesus, I call upon you to be my Savior, to live in my heart, to lead my life. I believe in you. I believe in you. I trust in you. And I let go of this stuff. And I let it go. And I give you control, Lord. There's fear. We see it, right? But there's joy in knowing I'm exactly where you want me to be. And I want to be there. Like those ladies, I want to be there. I don't want to be off somewhere else in my own stuff. I want to be there. Lord, don't allow me to miss it. I know the enemy attacks and lies by your word, Lord. You stabilize and sustain. Lord, we thank you that we can gather knowing that our Savior is risen. No one else can say that. So, Lord, in this place, we lift high the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? I'm going to say it again. Lord Jesus, we lift high your name. Can I get an amen? Happy Easter. May you have a wonderful weekend with your family.